And when we speak, we are afraid our words will not be heard nor welcomed. But when we are silent, we are still afraid. So it is better to speak, remembering we were never meant to survive. Welcome to Better to Speak, the podcast, where we use storytelling to transform silence into language and action. I'm your host, Casey Felton. This July, in addition to the anniversary of when I first put Better to Speak out into the world, we brought back Better to Speak, the period project, which was a campaign I first did back in 2019 to bring awareness to period poverty and homelessness in Atlanta, Georgia, in partnership with Happy Period ATL. I didn't do it last year in 2020 for obvious reasons with the pandemic, but I came across an organization called 601 for Period Equity, which is a black woman and student-led organization based in Mississippi. I also learned about another black woman and student-led organization in North Carolina called the Black Period Project and thought, why not double the support of two amazing organizations to specifically bring awareness to period inequity for black menstruators in the South. This has been one of my favorite campaigns I've done for Better to Speak, simply because it reminded me of why I love it and the platform it offers to uplift young black folks doing amazing work. And also, because the Period Project this year has been an amazing example of HBCU unity, as Asia Brown, co-founder of 601 for Period Equity, and Lena Van, founder of the Black Period Project, attend Spelman College and North Carolina A&T University, respectively. Keep listening to hear our discussion on how period equity highlights the intersecting oppressions of poverty, inequitable health care, patriarchy, and justice for trans and non-binary menstruators. To support Better to Speak the Period Project, Head to bettertospeak.org slash periodproject to learn more about the campaign and donate or donate by clicking the link in the bottom of the show notes. That way, you can donate through Red Circle, who hosts this podcast. All of the funds raised, regardless of how you donate, will be split equally between 601 for Period Equity and the Black Period Project. My name is Asia Brown. Um, I'm a rising junior um, comparative women's studies major at Spelman College. Um, I'm from Vicksburg, Mississippi. It's a pretty small town. Um, it's about 45 minutes away from the capital city, which is Jackson. Um, and really just how I got started, I guess, in this space specifically is um, obviously I had to, like many college students, come home because of the COVID-19 pandemic and take online courses. And, um, you know, just being from a small town and having to leave a big city and leave my college friends and everything, obviously was just heartbreaking. And I was just really looking for ways to get involved in my community. And um, I knew I also wanted to have a career in women's health. um, And I was looking for ways to get more involved in the women's health space as well. Um, And that's where I found this organization that's called the PAP Project. Um, And they had an ambassador program for the youth. Um, It was a virtual thing, so anybody could do it. And with that ambassador program, I learned more about period poverty and menstrual equity. And um, I just loved everything that um, the ambassador program had to offer. And um, with that, I also realized, though, how kind of like um, exclusive and, um, I don't know, I guess for lack of better words, just like white, overwhelmingly white (laughs) that the menstrual equity space can be. And I didn't really see 
a lot of like black led organizations um, or black woman led organizations like at the forefront of that movement, which didn't make sense to me because to me, um, you know, black communities, marginalized communities, trans and non-binary menstruators are the most impacted by period poverty because they're the most impacted by poverty. So that basically in a nutshell got me um, thinking like, you know, there's really nothing like that in my community. And it's definitely not anything like that here that's specifically trying to help the most marginalized. Um, so yeah, that's how I kind of started um, 601 for period equity with my younger sister, Layla, and we've just kind of been going from there. So really similar to, to Asia. Um, so I'm Lena Van. I'll be a rising senior supply chain management and marketing student at North Carolina A&T State University in Greensboro, North Carolina. I'm originally from Fayetteville, North Carolina, and I've gone to Title I schools my entire life. Um, and I've been in predominantly black spaces my entire life. Uh, my high school graduating class, um, the non-black graduating number of students was probably less than, than 20 people in the graduating class of like 220, 230 people. So a lot, like I've always been around black people. Um, so when I got to college, I think that's when I started finding a way to put what I was passionate about into words. Like I always knew I loved helping people, I always knew I loved helping my community, but I, was, I wasn't really sure like what was the perfect way to describe what I wanted to do. And what I found out is, you know, what I wanted to do was work in intersectionalism. Um, so my freshman year, I was Miss Freshman at A&T, essentially community service um, chair for the freshman class. And I wanted to get super creative with the way that I serve the community. I wanted to serve a very particular community. I wanted to serve a marginalized component of the Black community, which is something that's already marginalized. Um, and I wanted it to be in a way that we haven't touched on or that we don't ever speak about. Um, because at that time, I felt like we saw so many of the same kind of programs, so many, so much of the same energy that was putting into the same spaces. And I'm like, there's something that we're neglecting. Um, so I did a little bit of research into, you know, intersectionalism and just trying to figure out where do I want to fit in this space. And similar to Asia, you know, I discovered the period, the homeless period project, um, period.org, like um, the period movement. I looked at all of these spaces. I'm like, wow, this is incredible work. There's no black people here. There is nobody black here. Um, and what I have learned is when there is no black person present, then usually there will be no serving of the black community. Um, so from there, I decided, okay, well, I'm gonna do a community service project. I'm gonna serve the black community. Um, so I had 30 volunteers gather together to create homemade, like hand-sewn reusable menstrual cloth for, um, for menstrual pads for the homeless, black homeless population in the Greensboro triad area. So we made about 50 of those, handed those out. And it was just like this big spark at my university where we got a conversation going around period poverty, around menstrual equi equity, around intersectionalism. Um, so as that continued, I started working in like social entrepreneurship, uh, got a little bit of experience underneath my belt. And from there, it just kind of, expanded 
Um, and I think the biggest thing for me was realizing how much of a lived experience it is uh, because Greensboro is like the largest food desert, I think on this side of the country. And what I found is exactly what Asia said, period, poverty perpetuates periods. So I'm already like, if I have to drive 15, 20 minutes to Walmart to get food, I still have to drive 15, 20 minutes to get pads. It's not always about the affordability, it's also about the accessibility. And I found so many times as a young black college student that once, you know, the e-store closed on campus, which sold pads and tampons at a ridiculously marked up price, where else could I go? I didn't have any money. I couldn't drive anywhere. I was a freshman on campus. I couldn't, I wasn't allowed a car. You know, where could I go in those emergencies? And I think that was one of my first real lived experiences of period poverty is a spectrum. And I just knew I had to continue to work in that space. Exactly. And um, both of you touched on um, my next question, which is about the, the intersection of, you know, period inequity, period poverty with, you know, general poverty, general like food, um, deserts, things like that. Um, what is each of your perspectives on this idea that like, you know, period poverty is just, okay, you, one person individually might not be able to, like you said, afford or find paths versus like a systemic or larger kind of public health issue? Yeah, I can try and answer that. Um, I don't know, like, I feel like sometimes this issue is like framed as like a woman's issue or like a young girl's issue. And like, I don't think people realize that for poor families, like period products is like those products are in the family budget. You know what I'm saying? So it's like you if you're poor, you might have to choose between, okay, can we afford, you know, gas right now or can we get you that extra box of pads or tampons you know and I think um, I know here in Mississippi there's a lot of talk about um, the tampon tax that we have so we you know like 30 other states have a luxury sales tax on um, period products diapers and contraceptives um, and so when with all that going on during our last like legislative session, they were talking about how, you know, again, like we just frame it as this like gendered issue, but it's, I mean, it is, but it also, it impacts entire families, not just like one individual person. And, you know, also I think sometimes that um, one thing that like white led organizations miss with it is it's not just like lack of access to like period products, but also like when you're on your period, do you have access to waste management? You know, can you throw your things away? Um, you know, do you have access to clean running water, you know? I mean, I'm sure we all know when we're on our periods, we want to take a shower and we want to take multiple showers frequently to feel clean, to feel healthy, to feel good about ourselves and, and about our bodies. Um, so, you know, people um, that are homeless, if they don't have access to water, you know, if they don't have access to waste management, if they don't have access to products. That's like multiple issues, like coming together at one time. Um, so I definitely think there it's a very broad and like complex layered issue for sure. Yeah, and to definitely like add on to that, it's a systemic issue. And we can say that it can be individual because we don't want to acknowledge the fact that like this is experience for multiple people because we don't talk about periods. Periods are very stigmatized in the black community and outside the black community. Um, systemically, if we really think about it, like the root causes of any type of inequality, even menstrual inequality, 
comes down to white su supremacy. It comes down to the heterosexual patriarchy and it comes down to capitalism. And all three of those things are what you'll find to be the root cause of period poverty and menstrual inequity. So if we wanna talk about it systemically, we can refer back to my point in terms of living in Greensboro, living specifically in East Greensboro where it's a food desert. Now, if you look around in this food desert, you'll see a majority black population. And it's like that on purpose, it's, it's segregated. It's This is the place where black people can afford to live because they're not being paid wages to live out in the suburbs or to live in the new subdivisions that they're building further on. And these newer places have Whole Foods, they have Walmart grocery stores, neighborhood Walmarts, all of those things. So not having access to even those stores, those are replicated on the frame in the framework of period poverty. You know, I, I live five minutes away from my campus. The closest place that I can buy tampons is a Walgreens that is about 10 minutes away from my house. And I would have to pay $20 for an 18 pack of tampons. So, and it, and it makes sense because that's the only place that's available because where, what else are we gonna put in this community? You know, you know how they say like, you'll see a liquor store on every, on every corner. You'll see these purposely placed businesses. Um, and we just, we don't have access to those things and it's done purposely, it's done systemically. Um, and not to mention that uh, issues that affect black women, that affect, affect um, black trans men, like in black non-binary individuals, those are issues people don't care about. So you won't even know like it's a, a systemic issue because nobody cares to talk about it. And then to that last point, you know, one question I wanted to ask, um, I know Asia had mentioned this earlier, but I know on the um, the Black Period Project website, it like very clearly says, you know, our work is for Black women, girls, and trans men. Um, can each of you maybe speak on the importance of that gender inclusivity of, you know, very clearly stating that like, not only, you know, women even have periods, but like you just, just the general like broadness of, you know, inclusivity of period equity work. Yes, I have a very specific story for that. Um, so when I said like it, it, Black Period Project kind of took off on my university. Um, at first it was called NCAT Supports Women Period. And I did like a whole survey. Um, the fall, That's what it was called in the, the spring semester I did it. And then the fall semester we did it when we did a university-wide drive. Um, so I was doing the survey to see uh, how period poverty was affecting the students on campus. And I had uh, an individual who like responded to the survey who was a trans man. And I knew the person individually. It was actually somebody who um, was my sweet mate my freshman year. So we shared a bathroom with him. And when he was doing his comments, like, you know, commentating on um, at the time NCAT supports women period, which is now a black period project. Um, he was just like, I really feel like you should change the name. And at the time, I didn't really understand until like, you know, reading through his story, because he left like a long, long paragraph about, you know, you know, I, I said, do you have any thoughts or comments on what we're trying to do? He felt too uncomfortable to use the male restroom when he was on his period. And it just, it made me, it still makes me emotional because I'm just like thinking about what he said. 
Like he's fully transitioned. Like he looks very masculine presenting. So he can't go into the women's restroom because he knows he'll make women uncomfortable. He does not identify as a woman. He can't go into the male restrooms because they only have two stalls. And nine times out of 10, they might not even have doors on the stalls. And he just said like he felt so unsafe and so unprotected on this campus that, you know, where you where you should feel safe and protected because it's a, a space for black people where he was like, I don't, I carry around my, my youth pads. I keep a, a plastic bag in my book bag to put them in because imagine, you know, that uncomfortability of walking out of your stall after you, you know, have a pad and you have to throw it away, like in front of people, in front of, in front of urinals because they don't have waste bins in there. So to Asia's point about the waste management. So hearing that story was just like, there's a whole entire demographic that I recognized that I was excluding from this that was just as important, whose voice like matters just as much as mine, whose experience is 10 times worse than mine, that needs to be a part of this journey because people have periods and not just women have periods. Not every not even not even every cisgender woman has a, a period. So it just felt very dehumanizing to not include trans men who have periods in this conversation because this is their space too. Yeah, um, Lena really, you know, hit it right on the head. I think it's just important with anything to be gender inclusive, kind of like to Lena's point earlier about how like, you know, white orgs, if you don't have any black person present or you're not thinking about black experiences, you're not serving those communities. So I feel like if we're not being gender inclusive, if we're not recognizing the experiences of all menstruating people, then our organization wouldn't be for them. And I think that just completely defeats the point because if trans folks, if non-binary folks who menstruate, if they're not being served, if they cannot achieve menstrual equity, period equity, then nobody can, you know, because they're being left out. So I think, you know, in any women's health issue, whether it's, you know, abortion access, whether it's, you know, black maternal health, menstrual equity, whatever it is, I think we really need to start, you know, deconstructing like these like gender binaries on certain issues because not every, you know, like Lena said, not everybody, you know, who's a woman gets their period, not everybody who gets their period is a woman. So I think, it's just very alienating to even, you know, just discuss this as if it's just a one gender issue because it's definitely not. Exactly. And one other point that I wanted to hit on, um, Asia, I know when we first spoke, you had mentioned like the importance of 601 for period equities work specifically in the Deep South. Um, and of course, like both of your organizations exist in the South and from the South um, could be Starting with Asia, could you talk about, you know, the importance of or the difference in, you know, your experience in, in doing this work in Mississippi and just, you know, in the in the South in general? Yeah, for sure. Um, like I said, I, um, you know, started off in this space as an ambassador for the PAT project, and they are based in Los Angeles, if I'm not mistaken. And you know, a lot of like, I think period They're I'm not sure where they're based, but like, you know, their founder is, you know, started somewhere up in the north as well. So, you know, I just felt like there weren't any just like 
Black-led organizations in the South and specifically in my home state. And like really for me, it was just very important for me to start something like that here in Mississippi because I feel like we're oftentimes left out um, no matter what the topic is. You know, uh, last winter we had um, a huge water crisis in Jackson, which is about 45 minutes from my hometown. And, you know, for, you know, Jackson is like 80% black and, you know, thousands upon thousands of residents were left without running water for weeks and nobody really talked about it um, for weeks. Um, so just like different things like that, I feel like we're just left out of the conversation so much. So that's why it was so important for me to start something specifically for, you know, black Southerners, black menstruators here in the state. And, you know, I think also too, the importance of that is like, Southerners, we have a different culture. We have a different, you know, way that we do things sometimes. So somebody from New York might not be able to come to Mississippi and like know how the community is and how it works and how to best serve people. Um, and I know that there are period taboos and stigmas everywhere, but I feel like specifically in the South, sometimes it can be very conservative, especially amongst like older black people and everybody might not understand that. So I think sometimes even just trying to like break down period stigma period shame amongst black people it's important i think to like really be in tune with the community that you're serving so i definitely agree um so north carolina is a part of the bible belt which is just like the highly religious um kind of very conservative um culture uh, it's just I think it starts at Utah and it ends all the way over here. Um, so existing in that space where a lot of things that fall into like reproductive justice um, become a very taboo subject because it falls into sexual education. And with that, it gets like you have to you have to pitter patter. Um, and I, I think that shows in our politics as well, where like in the state of North Carolina, you can't give out, um, in certain counties, you can't give out tampons to students because they're seen as a medical device. Um, and just in terms of the black community in the South, um, it's a lot more conservative um, because we hold that internalized racism where black women are seen as sexual beings. So anything associated with sex, with being dirty, um is often a taboo subject because a lot of our self-worth to a white person was through our self-image so how we presented ourselves to them was a measure of our self-worth and um I think a great way to put it is like you know periods aren't like they're not clean they're not cute they're not uh you know, period and white just don't go along with each other because you think period stain, you know? Um, so that's like another thing that just being in the in the South where we just have so much of that internalized racism that is projected even in this space, which is why so many young men, black menstruators feel so uncomfortable about their body because they feel like it's something wrong. They feel like they can't talk about it because it, it sexualizes them in a way that they don't want to be sexualized. Yeah, and I'm just to add, even to like our point we were talking about earlier with like gender inclusivity, 
that's like really hard to talk about here. I mean, I can't speak for like other areas, but I would imagine in more like liberal and progressive areas, it's not as hard to um, basically just say the statement that not everybody who menstruates and gets their period is a woman. Like if I were to say that in like certain churches, certain spaces, I would pretty much get crucified. So I feel like that's enough, you know, what Lena was saying, like, you know, we're just much more conservative and, you know, we associate anything with sex, anything with vaginas, anything with our bodies as like deviancy. So it's just, you know, it's, it's just a little bit harder, I think, to even start the conversation. But I will say that's one of something that I've really enjoyed since starting um, 601 for Period Equity is like just getting the chance to talk to all different types of people in different generations about, you know, periods. And even just talking to like older Black women, like just this past weekend, I was passing out different products and doing a bunch of like donation drop-offs. And I was just talking to older Black women about my organization and I don't know, they were even just sharing their experiences with me about when they were younger, even if they don't have their period anymore, they were just sharing their experiences, you know, with me about everything like this um, older black lady last weekend, she was telling me like, you know, when tampons first hit the shelves, like her mom wouldn't even be able to afford to buy them or this other um, older black lady was saying, you know, her, her mother and grandmother wouldn't even let her use them because they had so many superstitions about, you know, your period having to like come out of your body and not kind of like being stuck inside your body, like just so many different superstitions that they had about, you know, menstruation. So I think just even that, you know, I, I will say that's like kind of the upside of doing this type of work is because you do get to kind of start up conversations and hopefully break down these different taboos and superstitions that we have about our bodies. And my final question for both of you is just what advice would you give to other, you know, young people looking to get involved in this work? Of course, all of us being from HBCUs, like, you know, HBCU leadership in this area. Um, and then what initiatives, programs and things like that do y'all have um, going on with each of your organizations? I'll touch on that really quick. Um, getting involved in the space, I think, don't wait. Like, everybody, I think, especially because we're, we're young and we're also Black, that we feel like we have to wait until we're at a certain point in our life to give back to our community. Like, we have to build towards it. Like, we have to build something for it. And it's like, you can give with zero dollars in your pocket. Like, you can give back your time. You can give back so much more than just monetor, monetary value. Um, so don't let, you know, finances stop you from pursuing whatever you want to do and making a change wherever you want in the community. Uh, definitely reach out to see if you can find organizations that kind of do the work that you're looking for. Like I think Asia touching on like the PAD Project Ambassador, that's a really great opportunity and a really great way for you to learn the space. Um, before you you dive head in um, and it's okay to like start small like I've been working in the menstrual equity space for the last two years and I still feel like um, like I ha I'm not as big as I want to be or um, that I'm not impacting as many people as I want um, but something that I really learned is it's about the the breadth of your impact whether than rather than the width of your um, impact so how deep you can make an impact rather than how wide you can make an impact. Um, and lastly, big projects that we're having 
um this like the next six months is reserved exclusively for getting our menstrual hygiene um mobile closet up and running um since we received twenty five thousand dollars from victoria's secret pink like that is the big thing that we're trying to work on um and getting that up and running so that we can go around you know the state of north carolina and hopefully expand um hoping to expand to dc very very soon um so you know uh, i hope our like little our apps and our websites and stuff will be somewhere available if you want to donate to that fund exclusively or if you want to just donate time resources because i don't know about y'all but i'm not building no cabinets i don't i just don't think that's for me i don't think i have the uh capability so that's that goes into my point about like you know you can donate your time or your skills i'm a strong believer that everybody should use their god-given talents to give back in any way that they can Yeah, can you repeat the first part of the question really quickly? <laughs> Just how um, would you, or what advice would you give to other young people just looking to get involved? Oh yeah, um, I would say for me, kind of to Lena's point as well, you know, don't wait, don't, you know, get so caught up in fear or thinking that because you're young, you can't do it, that you don't make an impact. You know, when I started this back in January, I never would have thought that I would have impacted hundreds of people and been able to you know distribute as much supplies as i've been able to do um so definitely don't wait you know start small for sure you know don't try and do more than you're capable of know your limits um you know seek advice and counsel from other you know older organizers in your community um but yeah another thing i would say is definitely especially if you you know, might be from a more privileged background or you're trying to serve communities you might not completely be familiar with is definitely like do your research and like really learn the community that you're serving because you don't want to do something that's like not really going to help somebody you don't want to just do something to do it um if that makes sense um and definitely connect with other organizations and network um word of mouth can go a really long way i would say that's how we've gotten some of our biggest opportunities um is through word of mouth and just um connecting with organizations in our area um and in terms of big projects um we're just really for the rest of 2021, um, just looking to continue community outreach here in the state of Mississippi. We've recently partnered with um, Planned Parenthood Southeast Advocates to collaborate on a um, program called Get Yours, where people living in the Southeast region of Mississippi can um, request period supplies and also safer sex kits and get it delivered straight to their door. So I'm really excited about that. Um, also, we're really trying to um, push for the installation of product dispensers in schools in the area and also at Spelman because we don't have them in the bathrooms, which doesn't make sense because we're all women's college, but that's a whole nother tangent. Um, so I'm really pushing for that for free product dispensers in uh, Mississippi schools um, and at Spelman for sure. Um, so yeah, th those are some of the big projects we're working on and hopefully we can start um, getting into like menstrual health education and really like educating young girls and folks about their bodies and about puberty and different things like that. So those are some things that we're really going to be focusing on for the rest of the year. 
That's it for this episode. You can find us on social media at better to speak underscore or on our website, bettertospeak.org. If you want to sponsor an episode and support Better to Speak, you can find the link to donate in the description of whatever podcasting platform you're listening on. Be sure to tune in to future episodes where we'll dive into various sociopolitical topics with the goal of transforming silence into language and action. Once again, I'm your host, Casey Felton. Thank you for listening.